I'm Timothy Putnam, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week, we gather right here to explore the foundations of our faith, to look at the implications of our faith on our daily lives, so that together, you and I can prepare to live outside the walls. Well, here we are in these weeks following the Feast of Pentecost, and we're continuing our focus on the topic of evangelization, taking a deeper look at it, maybe taking some of the the scariness away from that word. Uh, And so we're taking a look at what does it mean for you and I to be evangelists? And that topic is particularly apropos today because today is the solemnity of the nativity of St. John the Baptist. So happy birthday, St. John the Baptist. (laughs) And he is for us uh, an example and a type of being an evangelist, of going before the Lord to prepare his way. So we're going to talk a little bit about how we can go before the Lord to prepare his way in, in a similar manner to St. John the Baptist. I'm going to start our time together reading the Canticle of Zechariah. This is a, a passage of Scripture out of the Gospel of Luke in the first chapter. It's also a prayer that's prayed every day in morning prayer as part of the Liturgy of the Hours. And this is the song that Zechariah sang before the Lord uh, as his son was born. His mouth was opened. He, he, had been, uh, he had been made mute because he didn't believe the word of God that a son would be born to him. And so here he is. This is the first time he gets a chance to talk again after he's named his son John in obedience to Scripture, in obedience to the, the word of the angel. And so then he goes out and he sings this song. And it's a song that I think should inform us as we listen to what does it mean? What does it mean to be evangelists? Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel. He has come to his people and set them free. He has raised up for us a mighty Savior born of the house of his servant David. Through his holy prophets, he promised of old that he would save us from our enemies, from the hands of all who hate us. He promised to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. This was the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to set us free from the hands of our enemies, free to worship him without fear, holy and righteous in his sight all the days of our life. You, my child, shall be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his way, to give his people knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. In the tender compassion of our God, the dawn from on high shall break upon us to shine on those who dwell in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the way of peace. And then the canticle continues with glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Here is this song that Zechariah is so overcome out of gratitude uh, that he sings this song to the Lord and to his son, right? He's reminding those within earshot uh, the, the goodness and the promises of God. Here is a man, Zechariah, who loved the Lord his God. He was a priest, right? He is a priest in the, in, in the temple, uh, and he was the priest that went into the Holy of Holies. This is a guy who knew God, but then he has an encounter, a face-to-face encounter that leaves him speechless, to be quite literal. He, he was speechless 
for more than nine months because after uh, after he finished his time, he went home and then his wife wife was found to be with child, right? So uh, he went home and could not speak. And nine months went by and he could not speak. He was rendered speechless by an encounter with Christ. And then finally, his son is born and he obeys the word of the angel. Nobody else thought, it, he, they thought it was crazy because uh, why would you name a child, something that nobody in your family is named. That it was against custom. Why would you do this? And he he obeyed, even though it looked foolish. He obeyed even though people didn't understand. And and as he obeyed in his obedience, uh, he was restored. He was able to speak again. So let's just look at this just a little bit. What is he saying uh, to to the people around him, to his son through this song? Blessed be the God of Israel. He has come to his people and set them free. Uh, thank you, Jesus, basically. Thank thank the Lord. Thank God. Thank God. I can talk again, first of all, but thank God that he promised that he would, that, that this is who this child was going to be. And that means now that this child, this impossible child is here, that means that that's the truth. This is, this child is the forerunner of the promised Messiah. So, it's not, oh, thank you, God, that my child was born. It's, thank you, God, that this child is now a sign. It's proof that you keep your promises. He has raised up for us a mighty Savior, born of the house of his servant David. These are all prophecies. He's recounting what he knows to be true uh, and applying it to the situation. Through his holy prophets, he promised of old that he would save us from our enemies, from the hands of all that hate us. As you look here, we're looking at this this picture of someone who understands suffering. For the last nine months, Zechariah has been unable to speak. He, he has been languishing uh, because here he is, all, all that he knows about life, uh, his way of communicating, his way of, of interacting with the world has been removed from him, right? He's unable to speak. He's unable to communicate in that way. Uh, I know that I, as an extrovert, if that were to happen to me, this would be, this would be true suffering. But he also understands suffering in the sense that he knows that they are an oppressed people. He knows that foreign governments have come in, but he also, as a priest, understands that sin has separated the people from God. He knows this and understands it. And so here we have uh, this person who understands suffering, but also believes in the goodness of God. Right? He's a priest. He's, he's set up to do this. Uh, he's set up to to mediate between God and men. And so he knows that, that God throughout scriptures is good, and he's trying to figure out how this is going to play out. He knows that God has promised to free them. He's trying to figure out how this is going to play out. And in this child, John the Baptist, in this child, he sees that God is moving, that God is keeping those promises. And so even without seeing the fulfillment of that, he is rejoicing because of what he has experienced. Uh, this was the, this here he's remembered. God has remembered to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. And then he looks first after proclaiming the, the goodness and promises of God, he looks to his child and he calls out his destiny. You, my child, should be called the prophet of the Most High. You will go before the Lord to prepare his way, to give his people knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. And this, I think, is where evangelism 
really finds its center. That first, we recall the goodness and the promises of God as we've experienced them. This is no mere academic insight where he's talking these things through in a, in a kind of a speech kind of a setting. No, here is a person who is profoundly emotionally affected. He is filled with gratitude, and he's letting that overflow. So that first thing first is he has an experience with God, and he experiences this gratitude, and he lets it spill out. And that's the core of evangelism. It's being a witness to what we ourselves have experienced. And so here he does that. He, he overflows in gratitude, talking about the goodness of God. And then he looks to another and calls out their destiny, right? You, my child, shall be called the prophet of the Most High. You will go before the Lord. How many times have you looked at someone else and saw in them something that they did not see in themselves, How many times have you looked at someone else and then told them what you see in them, right? Uh, We've been doing this recently with uh, with our children at bedtime. A lot of good things, I think, happen (laughs) happen at bedtime with us. But uh, I've been noticing that one of my children was a little downhearted and maybe thought that he was always getting in trouble and could never do anything right. And and so I'm looking at him, and I know that he is capable of so much. Uh, I've given it away partially because, you know, it's a he. I know that he's capable of so much, and I, and I see in him this desire to do what's right. And so a few nights ago, we all sat down, and he wasn't expecting it. And I had him at bedtime. I had him sit facing everyone else. And I instructed all of his siblings and his mommy and me to think of two things and to tell him what we appreciate about him, to call out the goodness that's in him, that I know is in him, and to encourage it. And and I've been mindful over these last few weeks to do that more and more, to see what I know he can be, and to tell him that. And it's amazing to watch the difference as he has brightened up, as he has begun flourishing, and, and knowing what is in him, now trying to live that out trying to exercise those things that we appreciate more and more. And we've now taken to doing that with each of the children. And I think this is what evangelism is, is seeing the goodness of God and seeing the goodness of God in another person and calling that that's in them out of them, reminding them of the tender compassion of our God, reminding them that God wants to be in relationship with them and and calling them into that, inviting them into that. Evangelization isn't scary. It doesn't have to be scary. And specifically, it flows from what we already know to be true and what we have experienced. Uh, it's, it, it's a big word. It's a scary word, but it's not a scary thing. And as we come back from this break, we're going to continue this conversation. And we're inviting on the show Bishop Michael Sheridan. He's the Bishop of Colorado Springs. We're going to talk about some thoughts that may take away the, the, the complexity and the fear that comes with that word evangelization. Uh, and hopefully this conversation will give you courage and empower you to go out and do what all we Christians are called to do, to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Join us over on facebook.com slash step outside the walls on Twitter. The handles at outside the walls. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and implications of our faith on our daily lives. We're continuing our conversation on the topic of evangelization here in these weeks following Pentecost. And we have just an extreme privilege today as we're talking with Bishop Michael Sheridan. Uh, He's a St. Louis uh, native, but he's been in Colorado Springs first as a coadjutor bishop and then as the bishop of Colorado Springs from 2001. Uh, And so we're so glad to have you, Bishop. You've been a stalwart advocate for life, a proponent of Catholic education, and a longtime friend of Catholic Radio. Thank you for being with us today. Well, thank you, Timothy. Happy to be with you. So we're talking uh, about our role as evangelists. Uh, we have this in first in Evangelii Nutiandi uh, from Pope Paul VI, and then again, uh, most recently in Evangelii Gaudium from Pope Francis, uh, reiterating this idea that evangelism is not uh, a job that we can relegate merely to the clergy and religious, but that it's a, a responsibility for all of us who are uh, who claim the name of Christ, who who have been baptized and received the sacraments and, and live the Catholic life. And so talk just a little bit about this, uh, this necessity and this approachability of evangelism for the laity. Well, abs- no, you're, you're, you're very correct. That's exactly what the, what the popes have, uh, have been teaching us. And I, and I guess it's what in so many cases puts Catholic laity off when you, when you begin to, when you begin to tell them you are evangelizers, uh, it, it's not just the work of the, of the clergy and the laity. And so often I, I, I try to help them when they, you know, when, they, when their mouth drops open, it says, <laughs> I can't do that. I've never studied theology. I don't know that much. And I, I just try to tell them it, it it's not about being a, a theologian. I mean, if somebody hits you with something that you really can't deal with, say, I'll find out or I'll, I'll, Go see Father, whatever he'll help you with that. It's it's simpler, more elemental, more basic than that, and that's why it has to be done really by all of us. We 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 can't say to Father, you do it when everybody comes to Mass on Sunday, and then we'll do our best for the rest of the week. It's done in the home. It's done in schools. It's done simply in encounters between neighbors, friends. All of those are opportunities to at least open the door mm-hmm. uh, to to Christ and to bringing Christ to somebody else. So you're, you're very correct. You're very correct. And, and we really want to help, um, I do anyway, really want to help all of the lay faithful to appreciate their role and not be afraid of it. They don't have to be afraid of being evangelists. I think maybe some of this has to do with our culture of of the expert, right? We have the, the expert doctor that we go to for our foot or for our heart or for whatever the case is. We have a specialist in that regard. And, and secondly, I think there's this idea that evangelism can be somehow compressed down into apologetics, that evangelism is all about having the right answer rather than simply having an answer for the hope that we have, maybe not the, the right answer or uh, the, the magic bullet, but simply saying, this has been my experience. Right, or, or it's, just, it's really a matter of kind of introducing a person to someone else. I, 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 I use this sometimes as an example. If, you know, if, if, I, if I know someone well, if I have a good friend and that good friend has has had a great influence on me. I, I might want other people that I know to know this person. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I'd love you to meet Fred. 
you know, he's he's been an important part of my life, and I think you'd like to know him. We, I think we do that almost naturally all the time. Certainly. And what we're saying is, if I've come to know Jesus in some way, why wouldn't I want to introduce him uh, to somebody else? And as I said, it's not a matter of, of, of being a theologian, of, as you said, of having all the answers, of doing apologetics. This is someone I know, someone I love, someone who has had great meaning for my life, and I want you to know him. Now, maybe that sounds too simple, but in many ways, I think it is as simple as that. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that we we tend to think of evangelism differently when it comes to the faith than we do, hey, I went to this new restaurant, and it was great, and you need to try it out. Or I saw this great new movie, and we're very comfortable having that kind of a conversation of introducing right. people to our experience, but we get a little bit nervous when it comes to the faith. Right. Again, for the very reasons that, that, that we've talked about, because we think that we're we're first introducing somebody to, to some sort of, of, of system, some sort of creedal system. And, and maybe down the line, that's exactly what we want to do, to, to, to bring them to the fullness of faith in the Catholic Church. But we don't start there, and 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 the rest of that, the rest of that is is what we have the the right of Christian initiation of adults for. There are others who we hope are trained to to help people with the catechesis that goes along with that. But in the beginning, it's it's perhaps just my bringing a neighbor, a friend, maybe to mass with me on Sunday, or maybe just having a little conversation with them that that that's you know not particularly threatening those kinds of things open doors that lead to to much more mm-hmm. now one of the things that we read in these these documents from our popes is that in order for us to evangelize we have to be first evangelized ourselves and then continually being evangelized continually hearing the good news in in a way that it becomes uh, applicable to our lives. So talk a little bit in your experience, what are some ways that we as lay faithful who, who may be uncertain or unsettled with the idea of evangelization, what are some things that we can do to, to have that culture of encounter with Christ ourselves so that we can become more confident in evangelization? Well, Timothy, let me start by, by saying I don't want to separate myself from, from the lay faithful. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I, I think, you know, people of my generation and before and, and perhaps even now, I, I, I think we were very well catechized. But as this whole, this, this whole talk of, of the new evangelization and Catholics becoming re-evangelized themselves so that they could become evangelizers for others— I had, I had to stop and think. You know, I, I'm not so sure. I'm not in that um, in that group. You know, I, I studied a lot of theology, but I had to stop and think about my own personal relationship with Jesus Christ. How how deep is it really? Is it more intellectual than it is something that that embraces my entire being? Those kinds of questions. So, you're you're right. And again, the the, the popes are very right. I believe when they say we can't evangelize others unless we've been evangelized or re-evangelized. Put it another way, I'm talking about introducing Jesus to someone else. Well, I have to know Jesus pretty well 
myself before I can do that, just on a very personal, faith-filled level. So you, I think you would say, how? I the, the first thing, I don't know how we come to know Christ more deeply except through regular and, and real, authentic prayer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have talked to so many people, and I know it's true in my own life, um, who who have come to know Jesus in, in such a profound way in something like uh, a time before the Blessed Sacrament in adoration. It, it's amazing how many people have said, I, I, could, I could just sit there before the Blessed Sacrament, and an hour later, they know that, that somehow they have, they've had a profound encounter with Christ, which is exactly what that is. Mm-hmm. Um, but prayer, adoration, um, th- those are the ways we, we come to know him, um, I believe, and, and, and the ways that we allow him to speak to us, to, to take our hearts and, and, and change them. Uh, but yes, it also involves um, public worship, certainly um, uh, regular regular celebration of, of Mass, reception of the sacraments, of, of reconciliation, of the Eucharist, all of that. Mm-hmm. That's how we're, I think, how we uh, begin to become re-evangelized or more deeply evangelized ourselves. Again, nothing new there, but it's 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 how we do it i think yeah uh, for for me i know that i like to uh, I, I tend towards that more intellectual side and so for me to go before the blessed sacrament initially when i first became catholic i tried to do it and i tried to figure out how am i supposed to do this what are the the right prayers or the proper things to do and as i have gone on in my life as a catholic i've come to the place where i realized that that time is specifically non-academic. It, it's not a time of doing the right thing. It's merely a time of sitting and making space for silence and for breathing and for experiencing uh, the, the peaceful, calm presence of Christ. That's right. Um, again, I, I sometimes my mind will wander more than I'd, I'd like it to, but yes, yeah, sometimes I, that's exactly what I set out to do, just to be there. And, and to try to let the Lord in some way speak to me. Sometimes I do. I say prayers. Sometimes I will pray the rosary. Some other, but it, So it varies from time to time. Mm-hmm. But the, So you're right. There is, I don't think there is any, there's no set of prayers that, that we have to use or that right. we even ought to use. And sometimes it can be completely nonverbal. Mm-hmm. How do you encounter Christ? What's your experience with it? Uh, do you have a specific practice and prayer that helps you to feel the presence of God? One of the ways that you can try out evangelization is to share that. Maybe you think everyone has that same experience, but I guarantee it's not true. That's one of the things I really looked for when I first came into the churches to figure out what are some really effective ways to practice prayer, to practice the presence of God in my life. Why don't you share it with me? Let me know what you do. Go over to facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls and talk about how you encounter Christ. We'll continue this conversation with Bishop Michael Sheridan right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and the implications of our faith on our daily lives. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam, and we're continuing our conversation these weeks after Pentecost, talking about evangelization. We have the great privilege of having Bishop Michael Sheridan from the Diocese of Colorado Springs with us today, uh, talking about this, this life of being evangelized ourselves, of having an encounter with Christ, and then how that affects us as we then go out to introduce people to this person we love, this person of Jesus Christ. Uh, Bishop Sheridan, thank you again for being on the show today. You are very welcome. So one of the things that the church tells us is that parents are the primary educators of children in the faith. And I think a lot of parents may not know how to go about the same thing that you're talking about with our our shyness about evangelization. Well, I don't have all the answers, or I I don't have uh, the training in this. And just like with evangelization elsewhere, I think one of the most powerful answers that we can give is that humble answer that says, I don't know, let me go ask Father about that. (laughs) So let's talk a well, little bit about this evangelization in the home with our own families. Sure, sure. You, you know, with all due, with all due respect to my parents, who 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 were very good and and um, it gave me great example, raised me in the faith, and and I will be eternally grateful for that. I want to go back a generation to my grandmother, and I was told that my grandmother, uh, because of the the death of her mother, had to had to actually leave school, I think, after about the fourth grade. So she had next to no formal education. But I can think of few other people in my life, in my young life especially, um, who had such a profound influence on me. Her very simple, humble, but, but steadfast faith she could pray the rosary, um, but she could. That maybe that was about as far as it went in terms of of formal prayers. Mm-hmm. Um, but the way she would talk to me when I was young, I remember, and and she would she would talk about Jesus as if you know he were in the next room or or or, or someone. And and I I don't know that I fully appreciated it at the time, mm-hmm. but looking back on it, I see. That, that's, she didn't know what it was. She couldn't have called it evangelization if her life depended on it, but that's what <laughs> she was doing. That is exactly what she was doing. And I, I'm saying that only because, again, I don't, want, I don't want parents to think, or anybody to think, oh, I, I, I have to be some well-trained apologist or, or theologian to do this. But I, I firmly believe that it is in the home. That all of this that all of this begins. Our Catholic schools do great jobs, mm-hmm. but we don't want to make it a, a battle between what goes on in school and what goes on at home, or sometimes what doesn't go on at home. It really is. It really is the first duty of parents toward their children. Teach them to pray. Mm-hmm. Pray with them. Let them know why we're, we're, we're doing this. It's because. Of, of who God is, of what Jesus has done for us, how we want to, to give thanks to him for everything. Uh, this that, that image I have, you know, of a little child at, 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 at the knee of, of his mother or father, and all of them praying together, that is the greatest evangelization mm-hmm. that, that, a, that a really young person can have. 
And then what comes next? Faithful, faithful celebration of Mass every every Sunday. And, and it's so sad to see how many um, Catholic parents don't do that, don't, don't, and then therefore don't provide that for their children. Right. Bishop Sheridan, I think that maybe some parents look at this whole thing with the idea of, oh, we have so much scheduled on our plate. We have so much to do. And so, gosh, we, we, we had a tournament yesterday and we're just so tired, we're going to sleep in. And yet, I think that that speaks to what we expect Mass to be. If we really believed that, that in the Mass, we come face to face with the body and the blood and the soul and divinity of Jesus Christ, and, and that that then nourishes us and gives us both physical and spiritual strength, uh, I don't think anyone would miss it if we, if we really believed that that's what it was. And I don't think any of us would deprive our children if we really believed that that's what it was, to give them the, the grace of the sacraments through the reception of the Eucharist. And I, I don't know. It, it, it may be a weakness of faith. It may, it may just be that we, we, we don't really appreciate it enough. We, we remember what we were taught about it. Mm-hmm. Again, the, 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 the catechesis, we know that that's what the church teaches us. But somehow that hasn't caught on to our heart yet. Mm-hmm. And, and without that, um, it's, it, it can be difficult sometimes, to be, I think, to be enthusiastic, to, to be ready to, to say, look, this is, this is the, the highlight of our week. This is the most important thing we're going to do this week, to go to worship God, to give thanks to him, to receive Christ's body and blood so that we can now go on uh, for another week, um, so that we can have that life that Jesus promised us that comes uh, through the Eucharist. Mm-hmm. But um, you're right. You're right. We, we need we need to come to a deep appreciation of that, just a, not, not, not just a catechism knowledge of it, but a, right. a real appreciation of just how important that is. I think another way that we evangelize, and we don't even know it, is the way that we respond to our children informs them uh, of how, what to expect from God. Uh, if we let them get away with anything, then then of course God's going to let them get away with anything. If we if we're overly harsh and and overly critical, then then God can never be pleased, right? So they're they're going to get this understanding of who God is from how we behave toward them, and and that that's just as much evangelization as saying I am approachable and God is approachable. Uh, I I listen mm-hmm. to your concerns and God listens to your concerns, and and just as simple as trying as much as we can to relying on the graces of God to be a good reflection to our children of, of who God is to them. Right, right. You're right. And, and, and I, I, I just can't, I can't emphasize that, uh, that enough. I don't, I don't want parents to think I'm sort of spiritually or whatever, slapping them around for, for being bad <laughs> people, because I know, I know that they really do want the best mm-hmm. for their children. But sometimes that focus is so much on simply what, what's the best in this world, mm-hmm. you know, whether that's a, a good job, a good education, all of those wonderful things. But uh, all of that is, is so secondary, you know, in the light of why we're even here. Why, why did God create us? The, the only reason is, is so that we might become saints and live with him forever. And if whatever we do, in this life, in this world, is it in some way pointing us, leading us, pushing us 
toward that, then really how important is it? So it, it is a matter of, of kind of lining up our priorities and seeing that in the end, it's all about becoming saints in heaven. That's what it is. Now, Bishop Sheridan, you, you've talked a little bit about how uh, as important as catechism knowledge is, that we have to move beyond that and into this heart knowledge. You have quite the academic background. Uh, so can you talk to us a little bit about uh, one time that you came to transition out of this academic knowledge and came into a profound experience of the presence of God and how that that experience affected you maybe differently or gave you a different insight on the catechism knowledge you had prior to that? Mm-hmm. Well, I haven't transitioned out completely. I'm still working <laughs> at it, Timothy. I think I might be working at it for a long time. But I, I don't know if it's exactly one experience, but I'll tell you what sort of in general was, was the turning point for me. And that's what I mentioned earlier um, is, is Eucharistic adoration. I mean, you know, as a, as a young kid, I, I was a server. Um, uh, we, we had regular benediction of the Blessed Sacrament at our parish. We had something going on every night, and I was always happy to to be there to serve. And it made a great impression on me. But we didn't often have prolonged periods of adoration. You might remember the the, the, the what we call the 40 hours devotion which was just that, the exposition of the Blessed Sacrament over over maybe the period of a, of a weekend or something. But I don't know. I don't know that with everything that I experienced and learned, I don't know that I ever really came to appreciate um, an hour or a half hour sometimes just before the Blessed Sacrament on, on until many years later, not that many years ago, I'll confess. But I think ever since then, um, an awful lot has has begun to change in in my life in terms of I think my my I don't know if appreciation is the right word but my sense of what God has done for me what mm-hmm. what Jesus' death really means for me what the call to the priesthood and I mean this, I mean, as, as really as unworthy as I am and as I look at so many other priests who I think are doing uh, doing a much better job and, and, and much holier, if you will, all of those are just such gifts that I don't know, I think it, it, it was sitting with the Lord in adoration that I came to begin to appreciate those kinds of gifts and be grateful for them in, in ways that I, I hadn't that much beforehand. And therefore, came to see more clearly just who Jesus Christ is for me and 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 with me and all that He's done, and that's why I like to keep up Eucharistic adoration because yeah. I, I I'm only hoping and praying that it will continue to uh, to uh, bring me closer to to Him and and help me to uh, to be a better priest every day. Bishop Michael Sheridan, thank you so much for joining us on Outside the Walls today. You're welcome. It's good to be with you, Timothy. God bless you. Don't go anywhere. We still have more to talk about as we look at evangelization in the light of this solemnity of the nativity of John the Baptist. We're going to approach scripture and a reading from church history right after this. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Outside the Walls.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and the implications of our faith on our daily lives. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam, and today we've continued our conversation on the topic of evangelization. Had a great show today where we've been talking with Bishop Michael Sheridan of the Diocese of Colorado Springs, and I love his motto underneath his, uh, his crest, his Episcopal motto, is strength is made perfect in weakness. Uh, it comes from 2 Corinthians, where we read this in Scripture. Uh, Paul was asking that a difficulty be removed from him, and, and God said to him, Christ said to him, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. So Paul continues, So I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. And this, again, relates directly to evangelization because it is not through our own strength or our own knowledge or our own goodness that we can go out and evangelize. It doesn't matter how winsome you or I may be because it's the power of the Holy Spirit that makes evangelization possible, that that encounter with the living God that can make evangelism fruitful, that can make it, uh, you know, effective. And so for us, the more that we recognize our own weakness and rely on the sufficiency of Christ, the more likely we're going to be able to be effective witnesses uh, for the power of God in our world. So if you missed any part of this show, you missed the conversation, or you want to share this with someone else, uh, share with them that conversation we had with Bishop Michael Sheridan, then uh, no worries. Everything's archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. You can go, you can share it, you can download it to your device and listen to it over and over again uh, to be encouraged to find some direction to develop your spiritual life in such a way that you can experience that that relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, go. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com, download it, share it with your friends. And we also have something brand new there on OutsideTheWalls.com, and that's a link to Patreon. Patreon is a way for you to participate in the life of this show and to help really support the work that we do. For as little as $2 a month, and there are several different levels uh, of support, you can share in our community, have conversations, and uh, and then depending on the level of support that you give, there's also special non-broadcast segments that we have with our guests, uh, audio, some video blogs that you can access. And then also we're going to have some monthly video chats where you can tell me what's going on in your world and maybe that will shape the direction that we take one of our episodes here on Outside the Walls uh, as well. We continue to give away all of these wonderful books that I received from quality Catholic publishers all around the Catholic world. Uh, and those, those giveaways, those drawings uh, are given to those people who support the work that we do here with Outside the Walls. So go over to OutsideTheWalls.com, click on the Patreon link, find out a little bit more about it and see if that's something that you would be interested in doing, help supporting the work, the ongoing work that we do here in producing the radio show. Now, as always, this last segment, we're going to spend some time looking at Scripture and looking at uh, reading from church history. Today is the solemnity of the nativity of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is that one who, as Christ, as he was revealing Christ to the world, some of his own disciples were like, well, you know, John, this Jesus fellow is kind of horning in on your on your territory on preaching. And, and John the Baptist said, he must increase and I must decrease. And, and that for us is a rallying call just as it is for Bishop Sheridan to have that motto uh, 
strength is made perfect in weakness, so too we recognize that we aren't the center of this show, right? We we kind of recede into the background so that Christ can be more prominent, so that Christ can be reflected more faithfully. And so this is the core of evangelization, is realizing, one, that we've had a profound encounter with Jesus, but two, that it's really more about Jesus than it is about us. It takes away some of that, that pride or that need to, to do well in these conversations because it's not about us or, or us looking good. It's about uh, revealing Christ for who he is to those who have eyes to see and ears to hear. The, the, uh, the reading from the Acts today on this solemnity uh, is Paul talking about John the Baptist and talking about the, the good, beautiful revelation of Jesus. In Acts 13, we hear, In those days Paul said, God raised up David as king. Of him God testified, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will carry out my every wish. From this man's descendants, God, according to his promise, has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus. John heralded his coming by proclaiming a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. As John was completing his course, he would say, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he. Behold, one is coming after me. I am not worthy to unfasten the sandals of his feet. My brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those others among you who are God-fearing, to us this word of salvation has been sent. That reading comes from the book of Acts, and we see Paul talking about John the Baptist as deferring to the greatness of Christ, as deferring to his own unworthiness to be a bearer of that message. And that's you and me. We're unworthy, but we've experienced it. And we see in another part of Scripture that the love of Christ impels us, that it's not of our own doing. It's not of our own strength or of our own knowledge or our own power. It's the fact that we have experienced so profoundly this, this love of God that we have to share it. We're impelled to share it. As we continue to think about John the Baptist and how he shows a little bit of our relationship with Jesus, I want to read to you this sermon by St. Augustine speaking about John the Baptist. The church observes the birth of John as a hallowed event. We have no such commemoration for any other fathers, but it is significant that we celebrate the birthdays of John and of Jesus. This day cannot be passed by, and even if my explanation does not match the dignity of the feast, you may still meditate on it with great depth and profit. John is born of a woman too old for childbirth, Christ was born of a youthful virgin. The news of John's birth was met with incredulity, and his father was struck dumb. Christ's birth was believed, and he was conceived through faith. Such is the topic as I have presented it for our inquiry and discussion. But as I said before, if I lack either the time or the ability to study the implications of so profound a mystery, he who speaks within you, even when I am not here, will teach you better. It is he whom you contemplate with devotion, whom you have welcomed into your hearts, whose temples you have become. John, then, appears as the boundary between two testaments, the old and the new. That he is a sort of boundary the Lord himself bears witness when he speaks of the law and the prophets up until John the Baptist. 
Thus, he presents times past and is the herald of the new era to come. As a representative of the past, he is born of aged parents. As a herald of the new, he is declared to be a prophet while he is still in his mother's womb. For when yet unborn, he leapt in his mother's womb at the arrival of the Blessed Mary. In that womb, he had already been designated a prophet. Even before he was born, it was revealed that he was to be Christ's precursor, before they ever saw one another. These are divine happenings, going beyond the limits of our human frailty. Eventually, he is born. He receives his name. His father's tongue is loosened. See how these events reflect reality. Zechariah is silent and loses his voice until John, the precursor of the Lord, is born and restores his voice. The silence of Zechariah is nothing but the age of prophecy lying hidden, obscured as it were, and concealed before the preaching of Christ. At John's arrival, it becomes clear when the one who is being prophesied is about to come. The release of Zechariah's voice at the birth of John is a parallel to the rending of the veil at Christ's crucifixion. If John were announcing his own coming, Zechariah's lips would not have opened. The tongue is loosened because a voice is born. For when John was preaching the Lord's coming, he was asked, Who are you? And he replied, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. The voice is John, but the Lord in the beginning was the Word. John was a voice that lasted only for a time. Christ, the Word, in the beginning, is eternal. That reading comes from a sermon on John the Baptist by St. Augustine. And like John, we're called to a specific thing for a specific time, to be a voice that gives utterance to the Word of God. And that word, if you were to see it in print when it's in Scripture or in one of these homilies, is capitalized because it's not the Word of God coming through the prophet or the Bible. It, It is the Word of God, that single utterance of God, Jesus Christ himself. So as we give utterance, as we talk about that relationship, as we give utterance to the Word, we're allowing Jesus Christ to become present in our conversations. We're allowing Christ to be right in our midst to uh, to find that wounded place in our friend and our neighbor and to call them into a place that will bring them healing. Now, let's look a little bit more at John the Baptist. What did John have to do to be able to be this voice? Um, obviously, he has a very specific and particular place as the voice that revealed him. Uh, in a profound way, but I think we can share in that in a smaller way in our own contexts. And what did John have to do? The first thing John had to do was to recognize Christ, and we see that when Christ came in the womb at the visitation, and he leapt for joy. So let's first, as we take one step at a time, let us take a step this week at Mass, at whether we go to Eucharistic Adoration, to pray that God would help us to see him to reveal his actual presence to us in the liturgy and in the sacraments, that as we recognize him, we can go out and share him. For information on how to support us here at Outside the Walls, go to OutsideTheWalls.com and click the Patreon link. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.